Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this Sabbath and this opportunity that we have to rest in you, to come apart from the cares of this life, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray for the precious spirit of Jesus to be in our hearts and in our midst this morning. We thank you for that promise, for we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. On the screen, I have a photograph of Jack LaLanne. He is a nutrition and fitness expert. He was so inspiring to me that we ended up buying his juicer as well. We have that in our home, use it from time to time. And at the age of 42, he set the world record for push-ups by doing over 1,000 in 23 minutes. That's just a little over a second per push-up on average. And then at the age of 60, he swam from Alcatraz to Fisherman's Wharf, distance of 2.4 kilometers. He wore handcuffs and also towed a 1,000-pound boat. At the age of 70, he swam a 1.5-mile section of Long Beach Harbor while towing 70 people in 70 boats while handcuffed and shackled. Imagine doing that on your 70th birthday. And this is a photograph of Jack LaLanne when he was just over 90 years of age. The reason why we're inspired by individuals like Jack LaLanne is that he seems to defy the aging process. But even with all the nutrition and exercise of individuals that are motivated as Jack LaLanne, aging, deterioration, and death can be delayed, but it cannot be avoided. Isn't that right? Matter of fact, Jack LaLanne died at the age of 96 in 2011. Death is inevitable, and there's something about aging. I know I still look like a teenager, some people tell me, but don't let this baby face fool you. I did pass my 40th birthday not too long ago, and last week I got up in the morning, and suddenly I tweaked my neck. I moved too quickly, and for about 48 hours, my neck was like immobilized. When someone would say something to me, I'd move like this. You know, my whole body would have to move. I called my mother on the phone, and I said, this must be what happens when you cross 40. And uh, she told me, son, wait till you cross 70. You ain't seen nothing yet. Anyways, this is just a process of aging, and today our topic is glorification. And a part of glorification is that one day we will receive a dramatic upgrade. Praise the Lord. Our bodies will be glorified. We will receive a new body, a new constitution on that resurrection day, and it will be a wonderful moment when Jesus comes a second time. Now, in your study guide is an outline of today's presentation, and we're going to have to go by this because something is wrong with our screen, so we're going to have to trust this process here and uh, have our study guide. Now, glorification is the final phase of the process of restoration. Oh, here we go. Oh, no, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> Something just blinked on the screen there. Anyway, glorification is the last and final stage of the process 
of restoration. And in our study guide, we have an outline or a bird's eye view of our sanctuary model. And you can see that there are three different compartments to the sanctuary. You have the outer court, you have the holy place, and then you have the most holy place. And the first compartment is where we are justified. This is where we receive our justification. The second compartment is the holy place, and this is where we receive our sanctification. And the last and final phase is the most holy place, and this is where we receive our glorification. Today's topic is glorification, and in your study guide, you have a little chart there. The courtyard is where we receive our justification. This is where we receive the removal of sin's penalty. Oh, we are up. Thank you. Someone told me. All right. Let me back up a little bit here. Okay. Let's, let's go back. All right, here. Uh, this is Jack LaLanne doing 1,000 push-ups in 23 minutes. This is Jack LaLanne at the age of 60 swimming from Alcatraz to Fisherman's Wharf in 2.4 miles. He wore handcuffs. And this is Jack LaLanne pulling 70 boats with 70 people at the age of 70. And he was shackled and handcuffed the entire time. This is a picture of Jack LaLanne when he had just crossed 90 I hope to look like that when I'm 70, or 50 for that matter. I mean, this is amazing. But even individuals like Jack LaLanne cannot avoid the aging process. Deterioration, death, aging is something that is inevitable, and this is the result of sin. You can see the way that sin has affected humanity just by this chart of individuals that lived in the time of Genesis. Have you ever seen how long these people lived in the book of Genesis? Their lifespan was not measured in decades. It was measured in centuries. Adam lived to 930 years of age. Methuselah, the longest recorded lifespan, 969. Now, I did a little calculation. If Methuselah were to die in 2019, do you know what year he would have been born? 1,050, which means at the time of the Reformation, he would just be middle age, 467. All right, this is, this is incredible. Um, Noah lived to 950 years of age. He didn't have his first son until the year 500. Imagine how many doctoral degrees you can have living that long. You can have multiple careers. 900 years, and yet you see the precipitous decline of human longevity after the flood. You see that Abraham lived 175, Isaac lived 180, which is still a long time. Uh, Jacob lived to 147 years of age, and by the time we get to David, David lived to 70. This is something that has happened because of sin. Sin has not only affected our morality, it has affected our physical nature, longevity. I'm five foot six. This is a result of sin. <laughs> we were never meant to be this short. <laughs> Praise God, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be tall. <laughs> Praise his name. You know, this is all a result of sin. Baldness, graying, 
you know, wrinkles. These are all things that have happened since the inception of sin, and we have been in this precipitous decline. And even with all of our modern medicine today, the average American lifespan is only 78. 78. Now, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, tack on about seven years, but still that's short. 78. When we talk about glorification, this is the final stage in which God brings us all the way back. Adam and Eve, Edenic perfection, they were right there. Face-to-face communion with God because of sin. We're outside. The sanctuary is a kindergarten illustration, very simple, how God will bring us back. He brings us into the courtyard where we receive justification. He brings us into the holy place where we receive sanctification. And then we enter the most holy place where we receive glorification. And part of that glorification process is physical restoration. New bodies, new minds. Praise God. And this is one way of looking at the courtyard, justification, the removal of sin's penalty, the holy place, sanctification, removal of sin's power, and the most holy place, glorification, the removal of sin's presence. And glorification is the topic of our study today. Is glorification a biblical principle? Yes, it is. Let's look in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And to those whom he predestined, he also called. To those who he also called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Now, notice that Paul does not put sanctification in there, and scholars believe that in Paul's mind, the first phase of glorification is actually in sanctification. We'll come to that in a moment. The concept of restoration is throughout Scripture, and this is from the book Education, page 15, and this beautifully summarizes the sanctuary process of restoration to restore in man the image of his maker, to bring him, what is the operative word there? back to the perfection in which he was created to promote the development of body, mind, and soul that the divine purpose in his creation might be realized. This was to be the work of redemption. God's plan in salvation is to bring us back, back to Eden. And a great part of that process is our restoration of our physical nature, total glorification. When Jesus comes the second time, all of us will receive a new body. Very quickly, in your study guide, I want to go through four aspects of what glorification entails. Four points of glorification. Point number one, glorification involves spiritual restoration. Spiritual restoration. And this, I would argue, is the most important part of glorification. Amen? Spiritual restoration. The result of sin has affected our characters. Do you have parts of your character that you're not proud of? I do. Do you have parts of your character that are simply not Christ-like? Do you have parts of your character that, are, that is selfish? Wow. Well, praise the Lord that he saves us. We come to him just the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us in that condition. So he begins at the moment of conversion A process, notice the operative word here, is process. A process of restoration where he begins to hone your character and to mold us and to make us more like Jesus. And as long as you stay in the process, you're saved. 
Glorification is a process that begins with our character transformation now. So many times we think of glorification as pie in the sky, by and by. Oh, I'm going to be glorified one day. But according to Paul, glorification begins with our character. Here it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, the character of God, are being transformed. This is not a one-time process. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is glorification. From one character to another character. From one stage of holiness to another stage of holiness. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is the most important part of glorification. Glorification begins now. Once you accept Jesus, you are in the process of character transformation. Glorification begins in the present, and this is from John Piper. You have it in your study guide as well. In Paul's mind, the process called sanctification in this life, the process of transformation from one degree of holiness to the next, is the first stage of glorification. Character transformation. Making us more like Jesus. How many of you want to be more like Jesus? I do. And by beholding, we become changed. God begins a process in us of restoration because sin has tainted our character. We're not naturally Christ-like. We're naturally selfish. And this is an important part, or the most important part, of glorification. So here it is. Number two, point of glorification. Glorification involves our physical restoration. Glorification culminates with our physical transformation at the second coming. And I love this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Have you ever thought about what that day is going to be like? The trumpet sounds. Jesus is coming. And suddenly, you look down at your hands, and you have new hands. You know, like those commercials for oil valet. It's like, (laughs) whoa, all the wrinkles are gone. Can you imagine looking in the mirror for the first time in heaven? Whoa, I look good. Praise God. No baldness, no bald spots, no acne, no wrinkles, no backaches, no cancer. Never tired again. You will never age in heaven. Glorified. And every day will be like the newness of morning. I mean, do you believe this? This is the blessed hope. The new body that we're going to receive. This is a, an important part of glorification. We're going to receive a tremendous upgrade at the second coming, and God will re- reverse the physical effects of sin at the second coming. This is the transformation that we are waiting for, and this is our scripture reading, Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform are lowly bodies, and we have lowly bodies. 
I was sick as a dog last couple of weeks with the flu. There's nothing that makes you feel your mortality as when you are on your back sick. I tell you, there's going to be no more flus in heaven. Praise his name. So that our lowly bodies, they will be like his glorious body. We will receive a glorified body, just like the body of Jesus Christ at the second coming. Point number three, moving on, environmental restoration. Glorification will mean the restoration of Eden. In the new earth, there will be no more thorns, no more plants dying, no more tsunamis, no more earthquakes. Everything will be made new, and sin has affected our planet. Just look around. Death and dying, and praise the Lord, here in Alaska, we have pristine beauty, even in the midst of the effects of sin, but it is still there. It is still there, and God will restore Eden again. How do we know that? Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. What was in the Garden of Eden? The tree of life. Here we see in Revelation chapter 22, the last book of the Bible, the tree of life will be restored. Eden will be restored again. And the Bible depicts that the tree of life has its roots on either side of the river of life. Let's make a commitment that our first Sabbath in heaven, on Sabbath afternoon, we have a get-together as the Hillside O'Malley Church. Amen? Under the tree of life. Let's meet there. Amen? This is a reality. God is going to restore Eden again. This is a part of glorification and what it involves. And number four, relational restoration. Glorification will mean the restoration of relationships. Once sin was conceived on planet Earth, it destroyed every relationship. Our relationships are not the same again. Even look at our animal relationships. There will be a restoration of the way that prey and predator, that was never a part of God's plan, that will not be restored, that will be put away. No more prey and predator relationship. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. They're going to become best of friends. They're going to be vegetarian, believe it or not. This is a restoration of the animal relationships the way that God intended it. A restoration of human relationships. Revelation chapter 22, verse 2, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. What does that mean? I believe that this indicates that in heaven there will be no more racism. Amen. There will be no more racial tension. There will be no more ethnic cleansing and genocide. We will all treat each other as Jesus treated us. There will be no more social awkwardness. Can you imagine that? Every day, you know, the life of a pastor is a life of social awkwardness. I mean, it's just part comes with the tear. But no more misunderstandings. No more social drama. 
Heaven will be a place of real community. Praise his name. Healing of the nations. A restoration, most importantly, of our relationship with God. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, and they shall see his face. We're going to be able to see the face of the Father. We shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Notice the relationship here that the Scripture brings out. In order to see the face of God, we need to have the character of God. In order to have the body of Jesus, the glorious, glorified body of Jesus, we must have the character of Jesus. So the key to glorification is character. If we allow Jesus to reproduce his character in us, glorification is a guarantee. Glorification will take care of itself if we have the character of Jesus. Now, let's make this very practical here this morning. What is character? Sometimes we think of this nebulous concept, but Maranatha, page 222, if the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong. And the thoughts and feelings combined make up the moral character. In other words, what we think about and what we feel on a habitual, regular basis is who we are. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you want to know what kind of character you have, just do an assessment as to what you are thinking regularly and what you are feeling regularly, and that is your moral character. And this quotation from Stephen Covey, sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. Our preparation for glorification begins with character. Character. Character is kind of like cement. I'm not a very practical person, but I did go on a mission trip a number of years ago, and they let me build a wall. Too bad it I didn't build it straight up and down. They had to come and tear down the entire wall after I was finished with it. But I did work a little bit with cement, and they poured concrete and so forth. And it's fascinating the way that cement works, because in the beginning, that cement is moldable. You can shape it. You can put it into forms, and it'll take on the form of what, the, uh, what it entails. Here, individuals are putting the cement into forms, And for a period of time, you can impress certain things into that cement. I've seen it before, walking on the sidewalk in certain cities. You see people that have inscribed their names in the cement before it has set. So you have the forming stage, and then you have the fixed stage. And after that cement has fixed, it is no longer pliable and shapeable and moldable. And our characters are similar to that. Have you ever heard the term, he is just set in his ways? What is that talking about? It's talking about character. Or you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's talking about character. All of us are in this dynamic process of being formed, and being shaped and fixed. 
<coughs> excuse me. Look at it from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Look at this text very carefully because this, this text is indicating that God is not changing. God is the same. He's always calling us. But who is the individual that is changing in this text? We are changing. We are going from a malleable stage to a fixed stage. We are in a dynamic process. So God is calling, and if we do not respond, we are a different person tomorrow than the person that we were today and experience this regularly in pastoral ministry. I sit down with someone, and they are convicted. Have you ever been convicted before? I'm not talking about convicted of a felony. I'm talking about being convicted by the Holy Spirit. I, I've sat down with individuals, and you can see it in their eyes. They are convicted. They need to make a decision. They need, make, need to make the decision today, and they are in the valley of decision. But they put off the decision. And I meet with the same person, the next week. But the person is different. They say, Pastor, I don't feel the same way that I did before. What has changed? Has, has God changed? No. The individual has changed. They are a different person a week later than the person that they were before. This is from a dictionary definition of what it means to harden, to become firm or solid to solidify, to become set, to calcify, to make inflexible or unchangeable, to become cemented. All of us are in this process of forming and fixing, and there will come a certain point in our characters when our final decision was our last decision. Because our characters have become fixed have become cemented. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The best time to respond to God's call is always today. It's always today. In that moment that you feel the conviction, there's never a better opportunity than today. Have you felt convicted before? This is from Review and Herald. 1886, if the voice of Jesus is not heeded at once, it becomes confused in the mind with a multitude of other voices. The world's cares and busyness engross the attention and the conviction dies away. The heart becomes less impressible and lapses into a perilous unconsciousness of the shortness of time and the great eternity beyond. There's someone in this room that is feeling God's voice or hearing God's voice and feeling conviction. Maybe there's a relationship that God is calling you to break up with. That is an unbiblical relationship. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about dating relationship. Maybe there's a decision that you need to make today to surrender an area of your life to God. Maybe God is calling you to 
to give a certain part of your life to Him, and you know what that voice is saying to you. I want to give you the opportunity to respond today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I want to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to close here this morning. The Bible says, Today if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. And with every head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to make a simple appeal here this morning, just between you and God. If there's an area of your life that God is calling you to surrender, an area of your life that God is saying, Lord, that God is saying to lay at the feet of the Lord Jesus this morning, you want to say, Lord, I want to give my heart to you. Take my heart because I can't give it. I want to give you the invitation to respond today to God's voice. And if you want to say, Lord, all to Jesus, I surrender. This is just between you and God, and you want to say, Lord, I can't give my heart, but please help me to be willing to be made willing by your grace. If you want to surrender that area of your life today, I want to invite you to come forward for special prayer this morning. Who cares what other people think? This is just between you and God. just want to give you the opportunity to respond. God bless you, sister. And you want to say, Lord, this area of my life, I want to surrender to Jesus Christ this morning. This is not a general appeal. This is a specific appeal today. And you want to say, Lord, I'm tired of hanging on. Please, I want to surrender my life to you today. And there is no moment like right now, to respond. You may not even be alive tomorrow to be able to respond, but today is the day of salvation. While your heart is still beating, while your lungs are still taking in air, God says, respond today. You may be a different person tomorrow than you are today, but today is the day of salvation, and Jesus is saying, come. Come this morning and receive his spirit. Come this morning and receive his power. Is there someone else today? God bless you, sister, that wants to say, Lord, there's an area of my life that is keeping me from you. I want to surrender this area of my life to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for the promise that Jesus says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Father, so we've come this morning wanting to dedicate our lives to the Lord Jesus. Lord, there's an area of our life that we want to surrender to you. And we want to say, Lord, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. And we thank you for the promise that God is willing and able to give us the victory. All you need is our consent. Thank you so much for hearing and answering our prayers this morning. I pray that you bless every person, especially that has come forward today. Help us to believe by faith that you have given us the victory. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.